0: Welcome to the Parent Guide to GCSE podcast, episode number 11. Today's guest is Deborah Ann Davis, who is the author of How to Keep Your Daughter from Slamming the Door.
1: Hello and welcome to the Parent Guide to GCSE podcast. We are here today with Deborah Ann Davis, who has written How to Keep Your Daughter from Slamming the Door. So I figured that was something that we pretty much all need to hear about if we have daughters, however old they are, because they all have those kind of moments. So, Deborah, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. I uh, was lucky enough to be sent a sort of pre-launch copy of the book, which is due for release soon. And uh, don't worry, we will tell you when it's released because it's amazing. I will be buying the book because even just halfway through, there were bits that I could really easily pick out and try on my 11 year old. Who isn't even really at the door slamming point yet, but she still sometimes needs talking down. So it's really, really practical advice for, for mums when, when dealing with teenage daughters. So um, let's, uh, let's start with if there were one key piece of advice in terms of maintaining the best possible relationship with your teenage daughter, what would you say is the place to start? With yourself.
0: The thing is that um, kids react in two different ways. Either they're overt and loud and angry and crying and yelling and slamming, or they pull into themselves. When they pull into themselves, all you can do is guess. When they are broadcasting that they're having a problem, even though it feels personal, you have to be thankful that you are getting this red flag because nobody blows up unless they're at their wit's end. And kids don't go up to you and say, Mom, I'm at my wit's end. So, so first of all, be glad about the display because it's, let, it's letting you know what's going on. But second of all, you can't take it personally. When they're like three or four and you uh, make them share a toy or it's time for bed and they get upset and they say, I hate you. You don't feel like they truly hate you because they're little. And you know that's just an expression of their frustration. But when they get older, like 11, 12, 30, 40, 50, 30, when they get older and they say those kinds of things, then it feels hurtful. So that's why I say it has to start with you. Because you have to remember it's not personal. It is a cry for help. When they say, I hate you, what it really means is help me. So if you can get your mind around that, you know, after you blow off a little steam, then you will be able to face them better. I was listening to somebody online who was talking about, well, basically you have to go brain dead and your mind has to go, and then when your child is erupting around you, you're like, "Mm." and they say, you ruined my life. And you say, I know. You are, I'm the only one who doesn't get to do this. I know. You never care about me. I know. You know, you just have to do, close it off in you, inside of you. I used to think of it as in terms of centering myself and not letting her, her energy come into my energy and, which is great. But this whole concept of going brain dead, I like that. Like, yep. I get it. And then they will change tactics and, and, and the conversation will get diffused. So I think the biggest thing is for the parents to say to themselves, this is not a real sentiment. This is a representative sentiment and not take it personally. Now, of course, at the end of the day, when the dog's barking and someone's at the door and someone just knocked something off the counter and broke it and your child is throwing a tantrum because they can't go to the school dance, then, you know, cut yourself some slack.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something that is, is equally applicable to teachers, but you, you tend to be better at not taking it personally when it's a child in your class. than when it's your own child, because it feels, you know, it it gets you emotionally when your child says those kind of things to you. And it's just about learning those strategies for not jumping straight back at it, not letting it affect you and particularly affect your response. I mean, one of the things that I, I liked in the book was you were talking about ways to, to deal with button pushing because they do, they're experts at knowing exactly which buttons to press to get the response that they want and, and You were talking about kind of strategies that parents could use. So do you want to share with us some of your your tips there?
0: Well, the first thing is that um, the um, biggest buttons are the guilt buttons Right when they they make you feel badly. All right. So first of all, I'm gonna tell you what I think about guilt. I think guilt is worthless. I think it is unnecessary and it should be kicked to the curb. And um, I have, there are four steps for getting rid of your guilt. And this is really important for parents to do because you model your behavior. In everything you do, your kids imitate. So if you learn to live your life guilt-free, then your kids will learn to live their life guilt-free. And if you are living your life guilt-free, then they won't use the guilt buttons because they won't work. So uh, the first thing is, and the, there are four steps. The fourth one is the hardest. But the first thing is, if there's a situation that is making you feel guilty, um, you truly did something to somebody else then the first thing you have to do is stomp out the fires. You make sure there isn't anything going on that's going to make the situation worse. The second thing you do is you see if there's anything you can do to fix the situation or improve it. All right. So yes, we're mothers. We do that. We go back and fix things. The third thing you do is you go ask forgiveness from the injured party. Now, this is where it gets a little touchy, because if they forgive you, fine, you're on to the fourth step. But if they don't forgive you, it's still fine, because you have made sure the situation won't get worse. You have um, fixed everything that you could, and you've apologized. There is nothing more you can do for that other person. So now it becomes their journey. It is now up to them to work through this and get to a place of peace in their heart. That's not about you anymore. So you have to let go of that. And that brings me to the fourth step, which is really the hardest one. You have to forgive yourself. And you may have to go back and revisit this thing several times before you can actually forgive yourself, but you have to forgive yourself. Now, say you um, made a mistake with your daughter, something like, you thought she was doing something wrong and she wasn't and it hurt her feelings. So the first thing you do is you make sure that that situation isn't getting any worse. Like you try to stop any rumors or whatever it is that is the repercussions from it. Then the second thing you do is see how you can fix things. And then you go ask her forgiveness. And if she's upset, she's going to say, no, blah, 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 blah. you did this and you did that and you did that. But then you have to remember that you've, you've made an error. You've admitted it. You've, you've made sure it doesn't spread. You've tried to fix it and you've apologized for it. There literally is nothing else you can do for her. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is her journey. So, when she sees you learning to forgive yourself, it'll make it easier for her to practice forgiveness in her life. So, then the last thing with her little voice chirping in your ear about how you've hurt her, you have to forgive yourself. Because the bottom line is if you could have done it better, you would have. Right? Yep. But, but you can't go back and make it do a do over. So forgive yourself
1: and make sure you don't make that mistake again. Indeed. I mean, at the moment, I know certainly a lot of the parents we speak to and and certainly for me as well. I'm getting a lot of mum guilt over the fact that I'm still trying to work from home. I have always worked from home. So that part of it's not tricky in the current situation. So we're recording this at the time of everybody's in lockdown because of coronavirus and we're all kind of shutting our houses together and the kids are off school and I'm still trying to work from home which means I can't give her the level of attention that she wants and needs and I'm trying to balance the two and I know a lot of parents are finding that really difficult because it's not physically possible (laughs) to balance the two and to make everybody happy at once and so that I think is a situation where it's exactly as you've said you've got to do what you can Explain and and apologise where required, and and then forgive yourself for not being able to be in two places at once because right. none of us can. And that's and um, I, I know one of the biggest challenges at the moment that that mums are saying is uh, is causing them causing them grief. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a challenging one at the moment because. There isn't a right answer. There isn't an easy fix to anything. We're just all doing the best we can, which is what I keep telling and, people. And, so and I believe conversation
0: ourselves. is the key. Conversation is the key. You know, you need to talk to your daughters and, and, and you need to say to them, I want to, I wish so much that I could just stop my work and be with you and help you figure this out and be comfortable with this. But I need to do my work. So. How can we balance this so this will work for both of us? Um, I'm gonna need these couple of hours to do this. Will you be okay? So if she says, no, I need you, then say, well, what if I move it back to these couple of hours? Will you be okay then? Well, no, I need you. So which couple of hours would be best? See, first of all, I'm a proponent for not asking yes or no questions, so I would actually prefer that that be phrased as, would it be better if I take my couple of hours here before noon or afternoon?" Let's try it with your choice, and then we'll see how it works. And then we will modify it, And but that way they feel part of the process. And one of the things ha- that's been happening, I've been hearing from lots of moms, is that they didn't make a plan. They all of a sudden had the kids home and were, you know, neck high in trying to make decisions. But I think if people just back it off and say, family meeting, we need to make a plan. We need to plan the, how you're going to school ourselves and how we're going to fit in work, how we're going to take care of the house. And then they get to contribute and you'll have a better chance of it working. Can I just add one more thing? Yeah. When I was a kid, they said it was seven days to make a habit. And then when I was a young adult, they said it's 21 days to make a habit. Neither of those are true. It takes however long to make that habit. That's how long it takes. It can take months to make a habit. So what you need to do is say to the family, this will take a while to get used to. And we will make adjustments as we go along but i'm here for you and even if i can't talk to you during this little chunk of time where i'm with a client i will be there for you right afterwards so then you schedule your chunk of time with the client including your time that you need to process that afterwards that's your chunk of time away from the kids and then they and then you prepare their plan so that they are doing their schooling at home. And I recommend for the younger kids, so they do like 20 minute incre- increments and then 30 minutes off and 20 minutes on and 30 minutes off. And for the older kids, no more than 45 minutes on and 30 minutes off because um, they will burn out.
1: Absolutely, so. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I think that kind of brings us to the, the joys of the, the teenage brain and the fact that they are, they're wired differently than we are because their brains are developing in a different in a different way. Our brains, as adults, are for most of us fully developed, and we're capable of making rational decisions. But with teenagers, their brains develop at a different pace in different parts of their brain which then has a big impact on, on their decisions and their emotions and stuff as well. So can you talk us through a little bit of just the basic science of it? You don't need to go into lots of detail. Just,
0: yeah, I'm a science geek. So (laughs) if I get too
1: detailed, tell
0: me, okay, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's all interesting. Everybody must want to hear about the science of the brain. Um, okay. So basically the brain forms from the back going forward. So this part right here is your logic and reasoning center, right? the last part that forms. So that is done forming around 26 to 30 years old, you know, after college, okay? So all that weird college behavior that the kids do, okay, that we did, it's because (laughs) our brain, our forefront reasoning hadn't kicked in yet completely. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is instant gratification centers And fear centers develop first. So when your kids are faced with making a decision, it will make sense to them at that time. But here's the interesting part. You explain to kids, older kids, like middle school teenagers, that their logic and reasoning stuff hasn't kicked in yet and that they're being driven by instant gratification and fear of failure, fear of missing out, they will make better decisions because they'll know that that's what's going on, which is really cool. So... I agree. I'm slightly oh, the, the other I'm thing is about that. the brain, the, the younger kids, the teenagers and stuff, they have a 50% accuracy rate for recognizing facial
1: expressions correctly. Yeah. You saw that in the book? Yeah, and I thought <laughs> that was really interesting because that's not something that I... Think I knew about before,
0: but so you could
1: be, be at the table like this, thinking about your last
0: podcast, and the daughter goes, "What? What? Yes. What did I do?" <laughs> yes, you're like,
1: I don't know. I was just in my own little world somewhere. Yes, yeah.
0: that. So they they have a fifty percent chance of understanding
1: the expression on your face, which means a fifty percent chance of misinterpreting expression on your face for something else which is why you get those weird responses yeah it it really why there's so much drama in school oh yes you get a classroom
0: of 20 bodies that are in puberty and they can't interpret the expressions and one person looks over their shoulder and everybody behind them thinks that that look was directed at them and everything spirals downhill after that oh
1: you're taking me back to the classroom now i'm having flashbacks Traumatic. Um, well, yeah. So, with um, with all of the uh, you know with the kids at home and routines completely out of whack at the moment, like there is nothing normal about the situation as it is. Unless you were already homeschooling your children, this is totally different. Like all is new. In terms of them uh, stretching the envelope and and with us it's been bedtime creep bedtime has been creeping later and later and later because we get but i just want to stay here with you for a bit longer oh but can i read to you oh but i just need a cuddle and and so you as a mum get that oh i can't i can't say no to that mm-hmm. and then bedtimes getting later and later and later and particularly i mean it doesn't work so much when you've got teenagers who are often awake later than you are but with our 11 year old normally we'd get a bit of grown up time after she'd gone to bed to just, you know, be, be adults, be, you know, Mm -hmm. husband and wife and have a conversation about grown up things. And we're not getting that because it's just, it's getting to the point where by the time she's gone to bed, we want to go to sleep too. So tips on stopping that envelope stretching behavior would be very helpful. Okay. Um, this, two topics there one is about
0: bedtime and one is about envelope stretching i would say that um i have a friend whose niece wanted was eight is eight years old and she wanted to know if everybody was going to die so you have no idea and she can't tell you what your 11 year old how she's interpreting everything that's going on and she needs that cuddle time hmm. so yeah she needs it before she goes and and is by herself with her thoughts in her bed. So I don't have an answer for that unless you start bedtime earlier. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I, right now they need that time. Plus I think, I mean, I'm going to go on a tangent here. So bring me back to the other about envelope stretching. I think there's a, an issue that all this melodramatic vocabulary that we're using because the media is using it lockdown. Why are our kids driving, going crazy where most of them been sitting around playing on their electronics before school stopped anyway? Yeah. Right. So this whole business about lockdown means lack of freedom.
1: Yeah. They and feel like that is
0: the, the business about trying to break out of it. Um, this quarantine vocabulary and social distancing when it's not social distancing distancing it's physical distancing we're socially grouping not distancing yeah so all these things about social distance is making them feel isolated and frightened and you know, I've, if you go to my website and look at my blog um, titles, they don't say any of that stuff in them because I, I mean, I'm addressing things that people need right now, like how to talk to your kids and, but I don't put those words in it because it's, it's like every time I open up my email is COVID this and COVID that. And, you know, Um, and I will also say another thing for kids, for the parents that they can do that. Don't have the news playing in the house 24-7. Turn it off. They, they walk by it and they will see two things. Anxious adults talking about this next problem and their parents leaning forward, listening to it like it, they're worried. And that will be something that they'll walk away with in their own childlike way of, I need to fix this. I need to protect myself. My parents can't protect us. So those are some of the things that we can do. And and if you've got older kids, have them stop discussing this stuff around the younger kids. And I would just put a nice, warm, fuzzy, loving blanket around buffering the the younger kids from any of this stuff. I remember way back in the day um, when they were worried about nukes from Russia. And they were having drills in the schools about get under your chair, under your table, like that's going to help. But (laughs) anyway, um, everybody was having nightmares and and having anxiety and, you know, and um, our anxiety has just increased as our newscasters have increased. When I was a kid, there were three TV stations and the news came on at 6 p.m., and then it was over, and it came on at 11 p.m., and that was it. You couldn't access it during the day, and um, now it's just increasing the anxiety. So when I, I, I'm bringing myself back on my own, I'm such a grown-up, when I'm discussing envelope pushing, this new adjustment about living in a scary world and a scary society, I'm not counting back. That needs to be explored ad nauseum and to the nth degree. And after you've had these long exploratory conversations with your kids this week and they're all in a good place, you've got to do it again next week. And you've got to do it again the week afterwards because your job is to make them feel safe. They're going to be okay. I know the hardest group of people to convinced that of is seniors right now because this was supposed to be their year and they don't know what's going to happen next year when they're supposed to be going to college. So the only thing you can say is I don't know what's going to happen but I know you're going to be all right. I don't know how to fix this but I'm going to find out and I know you're going to be all right. There may be a delay but I know you're gonna be all right. You may end up in college without your senior year, but I know you're gonna be all right. And you can have that same sentence with the 11-year-olds. I know you're gonna be all right. I'm gonna be all right. Daddy's gonna be all right. We are gonna be all right. We are learning how to change, and guess what? This is gonna teach us flexibility we're going to learn how to be able to roll with the punches and make change which this is going to make it easier when you're older and it's ready, you're ready to go to college so this is actually great this is a great learning lesson that's how you talk to your kids so they're not scared that's your main conversation so when they're having their tantrums right now the answer to that is you're going to be all right Even when they're making you mad, you're going to say, you're going to be all right. And then you go to the other (laughs) room, you're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. Yeah. So anyway, now back to envelope pushing. I learned about, this is going to sound like a different topic. I learned about tantrums through my daughter um, who was pretty sunny and didn't throw tantrums when she was little. And, um, when she was about, I would say, about three, she was in daycare and had was watching this kid who threw tantrums all the time. We were at a store called Sears Roebuck. I don't know if you have those. Okay. So it's a department store, big department store. And, um, I had told her we'd go do, play with the toys or look at the toys. And we didn't have time. We had to leave. So she was getting angry as we were leaving the store. And I said, I'm sorry, we don't have time. We've got to go. And she threw herself back into one of those circular clothing racks. And the dresses covered her. And her little legs were sticking out. And she was screaming and banging her legs on the ground. And I couldn't reach her because I'd get kicked, right? I was so embarrassed because it was right by the entrance and all these people were coming in and out. And so she's there screaming, 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 and and I and and then she ran out of breath and they said, Are you done? And she goes, No, and she started again and I thought oh, I should have grabbed her, I shouldn't have said anything. So I still couldn't reach her. And then this older woman, and I say older woman, because I, I bet she's younger than I am now, but at that time I was a young mom. This older woman pats me on the arm and says, you're doing the right thing, honey. Don't give in to her. So I was like, okay, because I didn't really have a choice, right? <laughs> so we went through a couple of more rounds, and her, her, her tantrum yellings were getting shorter and shorter because she was running out of energy, and I realized she was going to run out of energy, and I was going to stop. So... I started like rolling my eyes at the people who were going by and we were exchanging quips and, you know, cause I got it. They weren't judging me. They were being sympathetic and a hundred percent glad that they were in my position. Yeah. And then finally she, she, I said, are you done yet? And she said, yes. So I helped her out of the rack and we went out of the store and she never had another tantrum because what she learned was that, it didn't get her anywhere. But what she did learn to do was like to talk, <laughs> to have conversations and to argue. So which, which is okay. I prefer that. But here's the, here's my point in the story. As a young mom, if I had been able to reach her, I would have done something in this public place to ease my embarrassment, right? I would have tried to bribe her or cajole her or promise her or do something instead of saying what I was saying, are you done? You know, it's, you're not getting what you want, right? So what I learned from that situation was when she did want to have a fuss, then I would say, if you fuss, you definitely aren't getting it. Even if you could have talked me into it, you're not getting it if you throw a tantrum. Yeah, not happening. So we, we didn't even have that going on because she knew that I was stubborn enough that I wasn't going to let her do it if she decided to go that route. So she had to calm herself and come at me logically. So I consider myself very lucky that I learned this lesson accidentally. So what I'm going to say is that what you have to do is wherever you are in your child's history and her age, is you have to draw the line and you have to wait through it if your child is old enough to have logic and understanding then um letting them go through their tantrum without any viable results is going to only happen a couple of times because a it takes a lot of energy b it didn't get them where they wanted and c they need another strategy so they will go figure out a different way to get at you so In terms of envelope stretching, the first thing you have to do is pull the envelope back together. And then you have to say, "Um, this is the line I'm going to cross. But here's the thing, you can't do that during the tantrum. You do that at a time where things are calm and natural and nice, and you have the conversation where it doesn't matter. You say, so I just want you to know that I read something, I heard something, I made a decision I want some change. I don't like the way I feel when you're that upset. So we've got to change that because we both know that that behavior is not gonna be good like at church or in the grocery store or for you as a parent. So we need to help you unlearn that. So my favorite way to broach those kinds of touchy conversations is with a bottle of nail polish where you're sitting shoulder to shoulder and you are polishing your toenails, not your fingers, because that's too much where you look up. Something about leaning over and staring down at your feet and hearing the voice next to you, there's no direct confrontations going on. So that's what I do, is I would bring out the bottle of nail polish and we'd sit side by side and we'd polish our, our toenails and we'd have these difficult conversations. And then sometimes she'd like rear up and she'd sit and talk and look at me like this. And I'd, I just stop. And I let her voice her, what she was saying. I'd listen and I'd nod and I'd go on. And then I, I'd say, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I'd go back to painting the toenails. So um, have the conversation that you're shrinking your envelope. Don't use those terms. And um, And then um, practice it when it happens, because they will adjust. And if you switch in midstream in the middle of a a tantrum, like if you say, I'm not going to stand here and do this anymore, and you walk away, they won't know what's going on. They will think that they have crossed some bridge that they have... Um, irreversibly damage the relationship and all that will do is throw them into a fear cycle, which will escalate their tantrum.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the issue is then how to, how to pull it back, I suppose. So if it's, it's having that initial conversation, I guess, if, if you've, you've built up this relationship where you perhaps allowed things to happen earlier on when they were younger and they have learned that if they do this, they get this from you. And if they then escalate it, they get this from you because you, you don't want to, you know, you, you haven't had the perseverance. You haven't been stubborn with them before. It's, it's sitting down and having that conversation and explaining why, I think, as you said, it's, it's taking it out of the situation and making sure that you're not reacting and and having that kind of separate thing and and talking through consequences as well so i know in the book you talked about uh, helping uh, negotiating consequences with them you know so if if this happens this is this is where we're drawing the line now and um, for example with bedtime this is this is our cutoff point what should happen if you take it too far what happens if you cross the line what were the, Here's the thing that.
0: Yes, I, I approve of everything that you're saying, but I'm going to add this other part. Just remember, I'm the ranking adult in the room, and the decision is ultimately mine. So you're welcome to express your opinions, and I will consider them, but I will decide what's best for our family.
1: So and you, you had um, as well, there was a, I'm trying to remember what the context was now, you'd written down what you had chosen. That the punishment was going to be that the consequence was going to be That's, okay then,
0: so this is this is for an infraction right yeah. an infraction that has not happened before so maybe you don't have something planned for it so i say to her i do not want to discipline you out of anger what i'm going to do is we're going to step away and we'll come back and um i will come back with what your consequences are going to be so you write it down on a card what it is that you're going to do and then you come back to her, and you have the discussion. What do you think your consequences should be? And the reason why you do that is not to get ideas, but to get an idea of how she perceives the um, the the how bad of an infraction it is. Yeah. Like she may think that it's not that big a deal, and so if her consequences are light consequences then what you need to be able to do is have the conversation with her that um, this is why this is a big deal. It, and I know you think that it's not a big deal or I'm getting the, that's not a good sentence. I know you think bad thing to say my, my mistake timeout. <laughs> it sounds like you think this is not as big a deal as I think it is as an adult. Now you have to understand you've been on the planet 17 years. I've been on the planet bazillion years and (laughs) um I see a bigger picture than you. So if you can trust me on this, I would let you know that there are bigger ramifications to what you're thinking than what's actually going on. So tell me your consequences and then I will tell you what I have decided. Yeah. And then you look at the you share the card with them so they don't think they because if they come up with the same thing you came up with, you don't want them to think that they picked
1: yeah yeah and I liked that I thought that was a a good way of kind of dealing with the conversation afterwards because Mm -hmm. too often we do rush into a a sudden consequence and and often that has a bigger impact on us than it does on them I know our, our boys are now old enough to drive we obviously start a little bit later than than you guys with driving but when we've had to talk about whether they'd be banned from using the car, we're then back in the situation where we're having to drive them to and from everything, and they can't help out with the chores when they're taking their sister off to gymnastics or whatever and And that becomes a bigger issue. but if we have to ever take away a phone for something, then they're constantly bored and driving us crazy and driving each other crazy and and so taking that time out to say there's going to be a consequence, I can't decide what it is right now. Let's come back and have this conversation. is is a really powerful thing, I think.
0: Right. I can't decide what it's going to be right now because this is a new situation for our family. So I don't want to go into this rashly. So yeah, no, that's great. But I will say this about the the driving one: um, they don't get to go driving. That's all it is. That doesn't mean that they they're excused from driving chores. They don't get to take the car someplace. Yeah. So that's part of it. Um, the other thing is, uh, what was the other one? Um, driving in, oh, the phone. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, oh no, the, about the driving. You don't, if they lose their per, um, privilege for driving because they did something like the horrible one about driving drunk or high, then they don't get to take the car. And so if they needed to go to practice, then they need to figure out how to get themselves to practice. And it's not with another teenage driver. It's with their parents. So it's not your job. And if they're going to be on a sports team, then you can tell the coach up front, I just want you to know that my my child is driving. And if they do anything in the car that's inappropriate, they'll lose that driving privilege. And that means they won't be able to make it to practice. So I'm just letting you know up front that that's the rule in my house, and then that way the coach is going to be, don't you dare, mm-hmm. yeah, right?
1: yeah. But I'm- the other
0: thing is, the kids need to be able to say face in front of their friends. So in the book, I give a couple of suggestions of things that they can say so that you know they don't have to, they can say no without looking like a you know a word we use here is goober.
1: So it's a good word.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So they, you know, I I always go for humor, you know, if they are serving beer someplace and um, you, they know they're going to get in trouble for drinking or they just plain don't want to drink. Then I would, I, my line was to say, I don't like the way beer tastes. Do you have anything flavored like hamburger? Right. So it's a joke or, you know, I always told my daughter, play the mom card. Mm. You know, when because say my mother's gonna meet me at the door with a breathalyzer. I'm not doing anything because I don't want to lose my driving privileges. Yeah, definitely. So,
1: and and it makes a huge difference because they they don't because they don't have that development at the front of their brain yet and they don't they can't necessarily see those kind of situations developing in the way that we can because we've been there and we've we've seen that and we've of course, sometimes done it. We <laughs> um we know the kind of situations that might arise and if we can help prepare them by giving them those built-in excuses and I love the the playing the mum card the no I can't because she'll know she will kill me. Um, mm-hmm. But having those built in excuses makes it much easier when they to, to then pre-warn them about the situations they might end up in. Because you're, you're helping them out with, with understanding that that's something that might arise, but also helping them to get out of it gracefully, as, as mm-hmm. you've said in the book, just having those, those get out of jail free card kind of mm-hmm. things um, can make a really big difference. And it's worth and
0: practicing with them.
1: Yeah absolutely and uh, and helping make sure that they don't end up in those awkward situations because we've all been there as as teenagers you're in a situation where you just you're not comfortable and you don't quite know what to do about it so one of the things that i'd seen recently on social media was somebody was saying that um they have made absolutely certain that their child knows if they're ever in a situation where they would either have to get in a car and drive when they shouldn't be driving or if the person that's driving them shouldn't be driving or anything along those lines I don't care if it's two in the morning and you're an hour away you phone me I will come and pick you up with absolutely no judgment Mm -hmm. you will be safe that is that and having that conversation in advance so that they know and drilling that into them so they never put themselves in that situation because they're thinking I can't ring mum if I ring her and I wake her up She'll grab mm-hmm. me for life. They, they forget we're up anyway. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> Mum always used to. I'd come in at two o'clock, having been out clubbing at sort of eighteen, and Mum would always be at the top of the stairs, going, "Did you have a nice time?" in a really sleepy face. And and I always thought, "Yes, so I'm sorry, I woke you up." No, she definitely was she not. Was asleep. not asleep yep. Totally get it as a parent now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's um. It's something that is worth kind of planning for and, and thinking about i mean not that they're going out at the moment to have these issues but um that doesn't mean there aren't still situations that they couldn't but kind of they
0: are out. going to have some issues you know there's a huge majority of kids whose friends are going to say to them and a huge majority is a huge number of kids whose friends are going to say to them Just sneak out. You haven't been sick. I haven't been sick. Come on, let's go out and and you know I mean so yes, it's going to happen now. So um, the other thing is when we get back to life the way we know it, I would I'd like to put a little plug in here for saying I don't approve of parties once they get to middle school age, middle school to high school. No parties, and I know that's extremely unpopular. But the bottom line is that. They're going to be in a place where people are drinking, where people are getting high, and where people are hooking up. And in the book, I say, the conversation you're going to have with your kid going off to the party is, enjoy yourself at the party, but don't drink, even though everybody else will be drinking and don't get high, even though everybody else will be getting high and don't hook up with that high inebriated boy that you have a crush on, (laughs) right? So instead have a good conversation with him about learning about each other, your likes and your dislikes while he's drunk and high. So (laughs) there is no win-win in that situation. You have a whole bunch of free-formed brains who are into instant gratification and risk behavior and don't make logical decisions who are under the influence and worried about looking cool all gathered in one place. And when does that sound like a good idea? Um, Never. (laughs) Now we used to do family parties, which when I was a kid, um, the first time my dad suggested it, I was like, oh, that's so lame. But we were, everybody was um, snowbound. I can't remember exactly how it happened. But what it st- what started was I was invited to go to somebody's house for a party. It was like a daytime thing, whatever. But my dad, who was a consummate educator, so he knew kids, which I didn't understand this at the time, um, he didn't want me over there he wanted everybody where he could keep an eye on them. so he said just invite them all over here we're going to build a campfire and um, cook hot dogs and it, it had just snowed so everybody came over in their clothing even people i didn't really know in their winter clothing so it must have been about 15 kids who had never been to my house and you know some of them were older And he led this hike to this place in the back of the woods where there was a little stream and there was a pond that had been, it was a beaver pond. I'm getting into my science stuff. So beavers dam things up and that creates ponds. And this was frozen over. So he took us out onto the ice and built a campfire on the ice. The heat rises. So it made a little puddle underneath, but it didn't stink in. And we cooked hot dogs out there. And I instantly became the most popular girl in school. Because my dad. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're going to, they're going to be gatherings of kids, have it at your house. Don't have it someplace else. I, my daughter went, was um, there was supposed to be a birthday party for my daughter's basketball team. And the mother was a teacher. So I'm thinking, you know, good chaperoning. And, and um, she, my daughter actually couldn't go because we had a different obligation. But what happened was all the team showed up and the mother served, the parents served alcohol and they took the kids' keys away so they wouldn't drive drunk. And I, I can't really wrap my head around the logic here, but um, the kids posted it on Facebook and the other parents found out and they were outraged and this parent lost her teaching certification and her job. And they were arrested. Both parents were arrested for serving alcohol to them. I mean, you know, the whole yeah. thing is crazy. And I would have let my daughter go. She was a teacher. Yeah. So, no, the parties are here. And there's so many things you can do home that are unusual. You know, you can have, I don't, I wouldn't recommend having a um, a party out on a, on a pond of ice ice, covered with ice, because um, unless you've done this before, I wouldn't do that, okay? We don't get but, enough ice for that, so. That's right. <laughs> but what you can do is um, um, spray paint your yard like a checkerboard mm. and have the people be the playing pieces, right? I mean, or you could do, create a shoots and ladder thing in your yard with your lawnmower, yeah, you know, I mean there's so many things you could do that are odd. You can do a, a a weenie roast on your on your um in your yard with a campfire and invite people over. I mean those things will bring people together. They will make your kids really cool and your parents stay separate from them, but there's you know there's no alcohol or getting high because they know you're gonna come over at any moment. So they just go have fun. You yeah. know, so um, there are ways to deal with it is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Um, right. So we're kind of, we're about to run out of time. Uh, but before I wow, forget, that went fast. it did, didn't it? Um, before I forget, uh, Deborah is offering a free ebook to, um, to all of you lovely listeners called how to get your happy on. So I will pop a link in the show notes for you to be able to get your, your free copy. And then as soon as how to keep your daughter from slamming the door is available, we'll make sure we let you know about that as well. I can highly recommend it. If you have a daughter, even if she's not a teenager yet, there is plenty in there. That is really, 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 really useful. So a okay, good question. Have you found any of these strategies helpful with your boys? Not tried yet. They're Because they're my stepsons, they're actually with their mum at the moment. So uh, I've not had a chance. But I will. There are definitely things that I could use with them. They're pretty universal stuff. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. So um yes, even if it's not a daughter that's slamming the door, it's uh, it's worth a read. So we will keep you posted with that. But thank you so so much for your time today. You're and it has been a pleasure. Same here thank you very much for being up with us if you'd like to know more about how you can support your child through their GCSEs then head over to parentguide see you next time